to the Attracting Lasting Love podcast presented by CoachingWithRoy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithRoy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello. This is Roy, and I am so excited to bring you a special episode of the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. It's special to me because it is the first full-length podcast that I am recording. Perhaps you heard the short preview episode that just told you all about the podcast and helped you decide if it was for you. But this is the first podcast where we are going to dive into the subject. And I thought it would probably be best to begin with my story. My story as to why I became a coach, the disasters that I experienced in my own love life that led me to being a coach. And the reason I think it would be best to start with my story is twofold. First, you know, I often joke with my clients that if you were to hire me as your coach, which is something that I certainly hope you consider, but if you did, you know, we're not having a, you're not hiring me to cut your grass or something, right? You're hiring me to talk about your love life. And that's a pretty serious matter. And therefore, you need to trust me. You need to know a little bit about who I am and what makes me tick and why I do what I do. If, if you're going to open your heart and your life and we are going to work together, whether you buy one of my books or a video course or join a group program or work one-on-one, -on -one, it's important that we establish a relationship together. So that's the first reason. The second reason, though, is that you will see when you hear my story that my story is your story. That we are going to have incredible things in common. Now, there's no doubt that the details of your relationship history and your story are going to be far different than mine, right? There's no doubt about that. We have different backgrounds, different parents, different experiences, different everything. But what's going to be interesting is some of the real important issues that have affected my love life, the things going on inside of me, the things that I discovered when I began to ask the question, why does my love life suck? I'll get, I'll get to that in just a minute. You're going to find that what I discovered, what was holding me back from having healthy, lasting, intimate relationships, even though we're far different from each other, maybe on different sides of the world, you're going to find that the things that were affecting me are the things affecting you. So I often say, and this is a cliche, and I didn't make it up, but the more personal something is, the more universal it is. 
right? The more personal, the more universal. And what that means is when we get down to real matters of the heart and we talk, we start talking about deeply personal core dynamics, we're all the same. We're motivated by some of the same fears. We have the same defense mechanisms. We try to protect ourselves in the same way. You know, we're, and, and we desire deep down the same things. So as I share my story with you, I want you to not just listen to it for its entertainment value, because <laughs> there are some entertaining parts, uh, but I want you to listen for yourself in the story. Do you follow me? And along the way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to interrupt my story and I'm going to call attention to what I would call a relationship marker. A marker is going to be an, an issue from my story where your life intersects in the same way. It'll be a marker is something where I'll say, aren't you doing the same thing? Or can't you relate to that? Or how is what I just said true of you? So there's going to be six or seven or eight times in my story where your story and my story are going to intersect. And I'm going to put a marker there and have a little conversation about that. And it's your job to sort of answer the question, right? To do some introspection, to bring curiosity to what I'm offering you, okay? Is that a deal? So like, I really want you to kind of listen with me. In fact, I, I wish that we could be doing this podcast like face-to-face -face, where you and I could be sitting you know, in a Starbucks or a Panera Bread or somewhere and just having a cup of coffee or tea and just having a conversation about life, love, and the pursuit of intimacy. And I would be sharing my story and then I'd say, well, how about you? Can you relate to that? Have you ever done that? If you, are you motivated by that? Are you, you know, can you understand that? And you say, oh yeah, well, at one time in my life, I think I would doing this and I was doing that just like you did. And I, I, so I think if we can engage that way in this conversation, then I think this podcast is going to be really powerful for you. So let me tell you my story. And I want to tell it to you in a way that is like, um, you know how some Hollywood movies, they start the movie sort of at the end of the story and there's this crisis moment, you know, there, there's the hero of the, of the movie is about to do something crazy or take a chance or face death or, you know, so they start the movie sort of at the end of the story. And then after that initial scene on the screen, it says four months earlier. So then they, they go back to the beginning and tell you everything that happened to get them to that final point. And then the movie wraps up in the same place it started. <laughs> so that's what I want to do with you. So here's the end of the story. For me, the end of the story was a recognition. And there's a lot here that I wrote about, especially in my first book. Um, and I won't spend a lot of time going into details. But the end of the story was me being a guy 
who was devastated and utterly confused by the abject failure that is his love life. Okay. I often tell my clients that if you want to have a great love life, just do the opposite of everything that I did. (laughs) And I wish I was kidding. I am not kidding. Okay. So the end of the story is a guy who was married for 19 years to really a wonderful woman. But our relationship, though it started out really great as all marriages do, uh, it devolved into sort of a co-functioning, co-parenting, sort of non-sexual, brother-sister, platonic type of relationship. We, we didn't have a lot of drama. We didn't argue a lot. But that's just indicative of we didn't have very much passion at all. We had lost the man-woman part of the relationship. And we just were good parents to our son. And we were generally kind to each other. But there was really nothing between us in terms of our energy with one another. Okay? So I couldn't live that way. And so I went ahead and initiated a divorce. And I wish I could tell you that my next relationship started after I had cleared and gotten complete (laughs) with my former marriage. But no, I had an affair. I mean, I was living without a sex life. That was torture for me. And I won't go into the details, but I met someone who... um, I really fell for, even though I was married. And I fell for this person. And the sex that we had was just unbelievable. And yet, this person that I was now starting this relationship with and falling in love with and having this great sex life with, I didn't tell her I was still married. Okay, so I was cheating on my wife and lying to the person who was, although she didn't know it, my mistress. Okay. Now, again, in my first book, I go into the details, but all of that completely blew up in my face and rightly so, because I was so out of alignment, so much out of my integrity, living and doing things that were just based on fear I mean, I was so afraid to walk away from my marriage because my son was seven years old at that time. And I just felt like if we get divorced, he's going to end up being a drug dealer by the time he's a teenager, right? I had these stories that it was going to crush him and harm him psychologically and damage him in ways that just scared the hell out of me. I also thought my ex-wife couldn't deal with it and couldn't handle it and And at the time, I was really heavily involved in Christianity. And there was a part of me that was like, you just, you can't get divorced, even though I was having an affair, which is also not a part of Christianity. (laughs) But I I was stuck. And so I, I, I didn't have any sex life. I didn't have any woman really in my life. But I thought it would kill my son and ruin my ex-wife and my faith and all that stuff. I was just stuck. 
Um, and I didn't handle it properly. I, I, I don't recommend anyone do what I did. Um, I hurt everybody, including me. Because eventually, the woman I was falling in love with was falling in love with me. And she eventually found out in a bizarre way. Um, she actually found out by reading a story about me in a newspaper. This is back in 2003 when I was still playing a lot of professional golf and I had qualified for the U.S. Open, which that year was being held in my hometown. And I was the only hometown guy in the tournament. So plenty of newspapers and televisions and radio stations were interviewing me because I was local guy makes good, you know. And I tried to not tell anybody that at the time I was living in Chicago during the summertime playing some golf and my family, my wife and son were living in Orlando, Florida. That's a long story, but I was kind of a gypsy for a few months of the year. So when I was being interviewed, I tried to not mention my family um, because my girlfriend in Chicago was going to read these stories in the paper. Well, somebody did some research and mentioned that my wife and son live in Orlando, Florida. I'm up here playing in tournaments and giving some golf lessons. And, and of course, the woman that I was madly in love with reads it in the paper. That's how she finds out that this guy that she thinks is wonderful and that she's in love with, you know, that's how she finds out I'm married. Okay. So it just, my whole life blew up. I finished dead last in the U S open dead last 156 players. You can check it. I finished 156, the worst performance of my professional life. Okay. So it, I was a disaster. So I immediately, this forced me to deal with my stuff. Um, I had to tell my wife that I was having an affair and I wanted a divorce. I had to look my seven-year-old son in the eye and tell him that. And I can still see his little face of how crushed he was. Um, and then I had to talk to my mistress, I guess you could say, at that time, the love of my life, uh, and talk to her about this and to, to hear the pain in her voice, the betrayal. Um, I was, I was a mess and they were a mess. Now, skipping ahead a little bit, I did repair that relationship with my mistress. She became my girlfriend. Then one of my divorce was finalized. We got engaged. Okay. So we spent about two and a half years together and it was really incredible. But some of the things I'll share a little bit later here started to emerge and cracks in our relationship started to emerge. First of all, our whole relationship was started on a lie. Okay. So difficult to recover from that when you lay a foundation of, you know, a lack of integrity and, and deceit. Difficult to build something sustainable when it starts that way. But we were together for two and a half years and our relationship started to crack because it was really built on a faulty foundation beyond what I just said. I'll get to that more in a minute. And so she dumped me six months before our wedding. And that crushed me. You know, I initiated the divorce with my ex-wife and for that reason, I don't think I felt the pain of the ending of that relationship, mostly because I was already involved with someone else. 
And so I bypassed dealing with the pain of my divorce and the ending of a basically a 19-year marriage. But when my ex-fiance broke up with me, it started like a one-year-long midlife crisis. I was... I was a mess. I mean, I had heart palpitations. I couldn't sleep. Every moment of the day, I was communicating in my head with my ex-fiance. I mean, we didn't talk to each other hardly at all. But that relationship was not over. I was still hung up on her, in love with her, angry at her, you know, just still really in relationship with her, even though we had broken up maybe months before. So this midlife crisis year was just torture. I, I, I wasn't a very good father. Um, it affected my professional life. I just came upon it at the seams. And one of the things that I remember was that when my ex-fiance broke up with me, it was actually the first time since I was 16. Okay, I'm like 46 when this happened. Um, I was like 16 the last time I was not in an intimate relationship. I had a high school girlfriend that ran into college. I met my wife in college and we were together for 19 years. And then I met my, my mistress while I was still married. So they were, they were all overlapping. Do you follow me? I was never single a day in my life. And when my ex-fiance broke up with me, I didn't have a woman in my life. And I felt like an untethered balloon. You know, at the county fair, that balloon, you know, it's filled with helium and you cut the string and it floats off into the atmosphere. That's what I felt like. I felt like an untethered soul. I had no grounding. I had no connection. I had no woman in my life. And at the time, I didn't realize how significant that was and how much learning there was because I had turned my relationship with women into something that was more than a relationship is ever supposed to be. They were a source of life to me. They were a sort of a grounding factor. And so when I didn't have a woman in my life, I felt naked. I felt untethered. I felt lost. And of course, now what did I do? Did I go and hire a coach and hire a therapist or something like that and do some work and do my grieving? And and no, I didn't do any of that. Remember, I told you I did everything wrong. (laughs) I didn't stop. I didn't go inward. I didn't ask some deep questions. I, I didn't feel my feelings. I didn't learn from everything that I had done and the pain that I created for everyone. No, what I did is I went out and tried to find a new girl. Brilliant, right? Okay. That was my strategy for dealing with all my pain and my midlife crisis. Go find a new one. Just replace her. So I went online. I I joined like four dating sites. Okay. And I just started trying to find someone to replace my ex-fiance. To sort of medicate that pain. Now, that was another completely inappropriate thing to do because I was never really available to any of these new women I met. 
you know, in a sense, even though I didn't really know it at the time, but I was using them to help me get distracted and get over the pain of the other relationship. I wasn't really emotionally available to them. Follow me, I really wasn't able to be present with them and to care for them. I was just using their sexuality and and their presence to just make me deal with all the other pain. So you can imagine the amount of drama that that caused with these new women who were available and who were interested in me. And then they come to find out that I'm not over the other girl. I'm not really available and, and I'm still hung up on her and I still thinking about her all the time and talking about her and everything else. You can imagine the pain that that caused. Okay, so it was around that time um, and I had some spectacular drama with women I met online. I, I write about it in the opening prologue to my first book, A Drink With Legs, um, which is an odd title of a book, but I'll explain where it comes from in a minute. Um, some spectacular drama. Um where I made some women so angry that they, I, I think they wanted to kill me. <laughs> and I couldn't blame them looking back. But around that time, I had a friend of mine say, Roy, do you think you might need to talk to someone about your love life? Do you think maybe you got a problem? Do you think maybe you need to take a look at yourself? Because at the time, you know, professionally speaking, my life was going pretty good. But my love life sucked. I mean, I couldn't make a relationship work with anybody. And it's sort of hilarious now to say this. Um, but back then, the reason I thought my love life wasn't working out is that I just hadn't found the right woman yet. I literally blamed the women for the dysfunction and the drama and the divorce and the difficulty and the pain of my love life. Oh, my ex-wife, well, you know, she wasn't very sexual. And, oh, my ex-fiance, okay, she was sexual, but she was a workaholic and she sort of made me take care of her kids and run her household because she worked 70 hours a week and I had to be her masseuse and her therapist and her... Uh, her co-parent, you know, and so I blamed her. And then I met these girls online. Oh, they were all crazy. They had problems. They were unstable. It never occurred to me that in all of the relationship pictures that I was the common denominator. It, it truly never occurred to me <laughs> until a friend of mine said, maybe you got some issues here, Roy. And then it was like, oh my God, maybe I am missing something about myself. <laughs> now you might be laughing at like, but this is maybe one of the, the first markers that I can set down here. Can you relate to the idea that the relationship pain that you've gone through and that you felt 
and that you've experienced, can you relate to thinking it's their fault? Can you relate to how easy it is to blame and point the finger? Now, I'm not saying that the women in my life didn't have any issues. Oh, we all have issues. But I'm saying I was the common denominator in all of these things. And it, it, it never occurred to me that I was bringing some of my childhood crap or I had my own relationship personas or my own personality blind spots or my own limiting beliefs or my own fears and my own insecurities. I, I, never, I never thought that it might be me. And so what I did is I hired a coach. But I hired a coach. And the question was, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing to create these nightmares? To create such drama and dysfunction and divorce and difficulty and pain. Okay? Now, that was a monumental question for me to ask. And that's a question that I wonder if you have the courage to ask yourself. This is the marker. Do you have the courage to stop blaming your ex, your boyfriends, your girlfriends, men, women, the online world, you know, whatever it is that you can point the finger at, Whatever it is your mind tells you is the reason why your love life isn't good. Well, I'm, in, I'm just too intimidating as a woman. I've got, I, I make too much money. I, my career is too high profile or, you know, and men are scared off by me. Or, you know, I work so many hours and, and uh, I'm, on, I'm on the road and I have kids or I have this issue or that issue and, and that's why these partners of mine can't handle it and are, are put off or, um, you know, so do you have the courage to stop blaming and to take 100% responsibility for how your love life is gone? And I say that even before you might know what you were doing to attract all the pain and the heartache and the difficulty that you've experienced. I made a decision that before I even knew why in the world was my love life the way it was, I decided I'm responsible for this. It's just, I don't see what it is. I don't know what I'm doing, but it ain't their fault. I have called them in to my movie. <laughs> it's like my life is a movie. And I chose these women to be in my movie, to be my co-stars. And I chose to see that, no, I chose them as my cast members. I wrote the script. I'm the one directing the movie. And I've turned it out this way. I've produced this love life for unconscious reasons. I did this to myself. Without really know. I didn't know how or why. But I chose that before I even knew the answers, I chose to see it that way. Yes, my, the women in my life had some issues. Whatever. I don't care. I chose to see that without my issues, none of it could have ever taken place. 
None of it could happen without what I was bringing to the relationships. So I just chose to take responsibility for creating the dynamics I was experiencing and I just stopped blaming. And then I went to my coach and I said, coach, I'm doing something. Her name was Diana. What am I doing? What am I missing? How am I responsible for this? Okay. And what I want to share with you very briefly is what I discovered. Okay. And here's what I discovered. So that is the, that's the, that's the scene of the movie. The first scene, right? You see the first scene in the movie, here's Roy, this guy's in pain, all this drama, divorce. Ah. Now we're going to flash back to the beginning. <laughs> okay. And as I began to work on myself, and what I'm going to describe here is something I call the chain of pain. <laughs> you know how a chain has links? One links to the other. One causes the next, you know? I'm going to give you a chain reaction here, a chain of pain of how my love life ended up like it did. And I think you're going to see that, whoo, you got a lot of these same links in your chain. Okay. So it starts by me. I discovered that I had what was called, I had a deep, deep want throughout my entire life. I always, I just wanted to be seen. I felt invisible. I wanted to be noticed. I I wanted to be somebody special. Okay? Now, right there, I described three links in the chain. I had what was called a core story of deficiency. Like there was a core issue of something that I felt was missing in me or wrong or in some way I was deficient or lacking. And, and, and that was that I felt invisible or unworthy. Um, I didn't feel special. I didn't feel worthy. I, I kind of felt invisible. Now, I won't go into all the experiences of my life that helped me kind of get a grip on this. But I saw that there was this core story I held about myself, that I was invisible and unworthy. Okay? Here's a marker. You've got a story like that. It's deep, deep down inside. You have to dig for it a little bit. But you have some sort of story of how something's not right with you. Perhaps you feel broken. Perhaps you feel not good enough. Perhaps you feel vulnerable. Perhaps you feel helpless or unlovable, right? Or undesirable or abandoned or unwanted, or flawed. Okay, I don't know what it is, but if you're honest with yourself, you're going to discover that you have a core theme, a core story of how you're deficient in some way. That leads to what I call the next chain, which is your deepest want. So if I had this core story of being invisible, of being unworthy, what I discovered, I had this deep want to be noticed, to be seen, to be 
someone, or I call it a my fundamental persona. I wanted to be somebody special. Okay, because I felt like I wasn't good enough or unworthy. I had this want to prove myself. I had this want to be somebody special. And so I became or I took on this this persona of trying to be somebody special. And so then my whole life has been about doing whatever I had to do to be special, to prove my worthiness, to prove I'm good enough so that I could somehow cure that core story of deficiency. Does that make sense? So I, so early in my life, I, I, I discovered I was really good at golf. And so I pursued golf, not maybe because I really loved the game, but because I was instantly really good at it and it made me special. It made me stand out in my parents' eyes, my friends' eyes. I mean, I was really good from the beginning. The first, my first hole of golf I ever played, I was 12 years old. I parred my first hole ever. Okay, if you know anything about golf, that is like, are you kidding me? You made a par in the first time you played golf on the first hole. Okay, I was just instantly good at it. And it made me feel special. And so fast forward, I got on the PGA Tour, you know, 15 years later or something like that. um, And I didn't play very well. Okay, so, wow, I'm failing. And here comes that core story comes back. You're invisible. No one's noticing you anymore. You're not special. You're not at the top of the leaderboard. You're kind of average. You're mediocre. And so my deepest want to be seen and to be wanted and to be valued was not being met via golf. Now, at the time, I was really big into Christianity. And at that time, it was around late 80s. The biggest church in the country at that time was in my hometown of Chicago. And they were wanting to expand and create satellite churches all over the country. And they did a nationwide search for 12 men who they felt like they could train and back and send them out into the country to start these mega churches. I heard about that. And at the time, I kind of thought, like, I think God wants me to do this. But now that I've done some work on myself, I recognized, ooh, since golf was failing to make me feel special, maybe God would do it. Maybe my pursuit of God and being a preacher and a pastor. So I applied for this internship and I was chosen as one of the 12. Oh, now I'm special again, right? I got on the PGA Tour. I felt special, but I didn't play very well. And that diminished. And then that core story of deficiency came back. So I had to find something else to make me feel special. Ooh, the church thing. Okay. Well, I got all trained up, moved to St. Louis, started a church. It didn't become a mega church. It barely survived. So now I'm like, I'm invisible. I'm not the star of some 
big church and everybody comes to hear me talk every week and, you know, sit in front of me and it's like, oh, you have such wisdom. Okay. So it wasn't that way. It was very small, like less than a hundred people after a couple of years, I was failing. I was invisible again. And here comes that core story of deficiency of not being worthy of being invisible but I still had the deep, my deepest want was to be seen. Golf didn't do it. God didn't do it. How about girls? How about girls? Maybe if I could find a relationship with a beautiful, affectionate woman, then I'd feel special. And that's what I learned from my coach as to why my love life was a disaster. <laughs> I was using a woman to propagate or promote or enhance my ego. I was searching for a beautiful, affectionate woman to give me her attention and her affection and all that stuff to make me feel special, to make me feel like a man, to make me feel wanted, to make me feel seen make me feel worthy. If I could be on the PGA tour, oh, I'd be somebody special. Well, that didn't give it to me. Well, if I could be on stage in a big giant church under the lights, that would make me feel special. Well, didn't work out that way. Well, maybe if, if I can find a really beautiful woman to want me, well, then I would feel worthy. I would feel special. And so, when I entered into a relationship with my wife, the reason why it didn't work out is because she wasn't doing her job. Her job was to make me feel special. We didn't have much of a sex life. We didn't have much of a, an intimate relationship. And I just felt sort of unseen, unwanted, unworthy. And so, well, that ain't going to work. I got to find me another woman. And then I found my ex-fiance. And for a while, she did it. <laughs> for a while, I felt seen and I felt special. But the longer we were together, the more normal life took over. The more, you know, she had career responsibilities and children responsibilities and different things. And then I began to feel unimportant or unseen. So do you see the theme here? So here's the marker. Here's the, here's the marker. What is your core story of deficiency and what is your deepest want as a result of it? They are always opposites. I, I felt invisible, so I wanted to be seen. If you feel vulnerable or unsafe, you're going to want to feel powerful and in control. Okay, so what is your core story of deficiency? What have you always felt like is wrong with you? Or what's missing in life? And, and, and then what is your deepest want? Because that deepest want is so powerful that you are going to seek a partner. You are going to seek a partner to fulfill that want. See, all the women in my life 
they were there to do a specific job, and that was to see me, to make me feel worthy, to make me feel wanted. Follow me? And so the reason my love life wasn't working out is I was asking my life partners to be my life source. I was asking women to do something they're not capable of doing. I was asking them to heal something that was wrong inside of me, to fill that void or to fix that problem or to help me find that identity or to help me finish that story of not being seen. See, so I discovered through working with my coach because of the questions that she asked me and and because I was open to looking at myself rather than pointing the finger of blame. When I looked at myself, that's what I began to see is that I had always felt this deficiency and I had sort of jumped from golf to God to girls. I, I spent my whole life looking for something outside of me to fix that feeling of deficiency on the inside and nothing worked. But here's the kicker. None of it is supposed to work. <laughs> Nothing on the outside of you can fix that issue on the inside of you. That's something that you you do yourself. That is something that that's you and God, or that's you in life. That's you and your own evolution, your own awakening. That's your job to fix that. And I didn't know it. I thought it was a woman's job to make me feel special or golf. Or God. And they all failed me. They all didn't do it. And with women, I just thought, well, I've just not met the right woman yet. Maybe I'll meet some woman who is up to the task of making me finally feel worthy and visible. And finally, I'm Mr. Somebody Special. Well, I met some really beautiful women. Wonderful women. Loving women. Women who really loved me. And it was not enough. I remember my ex-fiance looking at me saying, Roy, it's, we could have sex four times a day. It's not enough for you. Whatever I do isn't enough. Whatever I offer is not enough. And at the time I argued and I argued and I argued. That's no, not true. That's not true. That's not true. Blah, blah, blah. You know what? It was so true. Because I was looking for her to do something she wasn't capable of doing. I didn't realize that I had a job description for women. They had to be a certain way. They had to love me in certain ways. They had to say and do certain things. They had to have certain characteristics. It's one of the reasons why I'm not real big on making a list of qualities that you want in a partner and the whole law of attraction thing, because this is, this is what's operating the list. Your core story of deficiency is writing the list. The qualities that you want in a partner are the qualities your mind tells you you need in order to fix that feeling of abandonment or unwanted or unworthy or vulnerable or being broken. Your mind is going to say, let's find a partner, the ideal partner. That person who will fill that void and finish that story and fix that problem. Do you follow me? Can you relate to that? Are you brave enough to recognize 
that your the drama in your love life, and I don't care what it is, the drama, the, the difficulty, perhaps divorce, perhaps you've been dumped, perhaps you've dumped others, is because you have had that core story of deficiency and that deepest want and your partners were not fulfilling it. They weren't doing their job. And you felt upset with them, angry with them, disappointed in them because they're not just, well, they're not being there for me. Are you open to the possibility that the reason your love life has not worked out the way you want it to is because you were looking for your life partner to be your life source. Now, if you tell me, Roy, no, man, you were doing that. You were pretty messed up. I get it. I appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability, but no, that's not true of me. I'm going to tell you it's only because you don't see it. I've been working with people a long time. And this is where the more personal, the more universal. And what I'm telling you is you are run by a core story of deficiency with its corresponding deepest want. And from there, you form this fundamental persona. For me, it was, I got to be Mr. Somebody Special. And then from there, you're going to attract a partner who is going to have that job, whether you know it or not. They're supposed to be a certain kind of partner, a certain kind of boyfriend, a certain kind of girlfriend that is going to meet that want. It's going to meet my needs. See, most people think the purpose of a good relationship is to meet your emotional needs. And what are your emotional needs? Your core story of deficiency is your deepest emotional need. Mine was to feel seen, to feel special. And I thought a partner's job was to make me feel special. And I had women who tried and they couldn't do it because no life partner can be your life source. But you're doing this. You're looking for a, a partner, for a playmate, a certain kind of person to fix that mess that you got inside of you. And I'm just here to tell you it's not wrong that you're doing it. It wasn't wrong that I was doing it. It just doesn't work. You're just asking a man or a woman to do something they're not capable of doing. And, and it's responsible. It's the deepest reason your love life hasn't worked out. Yes, I know there were surface reasons somebody cheated on you or there was an incompatibility thing or, you know, there's all kinds of surface reasons relationships don't work out. But if you get really honest with yourself, you believe that you have an emotional need that a partner is supposed to fix or, or to heal. You believe that the purpose of a relationship is to heal your, um, or, or to fulfill your emotional needs. And it really isn't. That's not the purpose of a relationship. Because then you're asking a partner to do something that they really can't do. And then you put pressure on them. Or you get mad when they're not doing it, when they're not giving enough, when they're not there for you in the way you need them to be there for you. Like if you've got this core story of deficiency about feeling abandoned and sort of left, lost, alone, your deepest want is to have someone 
who will be, quote, emotionally available. Does that make sense? Right? If you've got this wound of being sort of abandoned or unwanted, then your deepest want is to be wanted, to not be abandoned, to have someone there for you, to be emotionally available. Because if they're emotionally available, you never feel abandoned. There's, there's that connection. So then you attract some person and on your list, the first thing on the list, oh, they've got to be emotionally available. They've got, you know, you, you, your list will, will show this. And then you meet someone who's really a good person and they are eventually going to feel emotionally unavailable to you when they get distracted by something else. They have their own goals, their own dreams. They have maybe some of their own friends or maybe just as simple as you meet a new guy or a new girl, you have a great couple of dates and and then you send them a text and they don't respond and you get triggered when people don't respond to your text messages right away, especially people that you're dating or developing a relationship with. Why does it bother you so much that someone doesn't immediately text you or maybe goes an entire day without getting back to you? Why does that drive you insane? It's because you're getting triggered because they aren't, they aren't filling your deepest want and it's exposing your core story of deficiency. When they don't text you back, you feel abandoned. And so you, you, you might blow up their phone. What are you doing? Who are you with? You don't love me anymore? And you, right? So all the drama happens because you're unaware that you've got this abandonment wound and you have assigned your partner, even a brand new one, your job is to not abandon me. And that means answer my texts right away, be be present with me all the time, be emotionally available whenever I need you. Do, do, are you following this? This is where the pain comes from. This is the chain of pain. It starts with your core story of deficiency and its opposite, that deepest want. And then you develop this persona. I, I've got to be a certain kind of person to get people to give me that. Me, I had to be, I had to perform. I had to achieve. I had to try to, you know, be the best golfer in the world. And then I would get noticed. I had to be the best preacher. And then I would get noticed. Well, then I had to, to be like the world's greatest boyfriend. I have a chapter in my first book called that, The World's Greatest Boyfriend. And I was. <laughs> I mean, my ex-fiance, I did raise her kids. I cleaned her house. I, I did her laundry. I did her children's laundry. I took them to tutoring. I washed her car. I cut her grass. I was the world's greatest boyfriend because I wanted her to see me. I wanted her to value me. I wanted her to think. I, I didn't feel worthy of her love if I didn't be like Casanova. You know, do you, do you follow that? So I was being that kind of guy because I was afraid that if I wasn't that way, she wouldn't want me. And, and that attracted a dynamic. And at the core, the, another link in the chain was I had an essential demand. And the demand was you've got to give me your affection and attention frequently or I'm going to feel unseen. 
So there was pressure for sex. There was pressure for attention. A pre- uh, there was pressure to spend time with me. Um, a lot of things I did to take care of her kids were just so that she wouldn't have to deal with it. and She could spend all her time with me. That's pretty sick. But not really if you understand this core story of feeling unseen and unwanted and unworthy. And I had tried. Golf didn't do it. And God didn't do it. And I was left with, okay, girls, this is my last chance to feel special. And this led to all the drama. This led to the pressure I put on relationships. And it, it, it was the root cause of my anger and my disappointment and all of the conflict in my life. I remember one specific conversation, and I'll wrap up with this. Um, I had with my coach where she saw this before I did. She saw that I was like a, when it came to women, I was like a relationship addict. I was a love addict, not a sex addict. I did, I did not hit it and quit it. I wanted intimacy. I wanted to be close. I wanted a woman to see me and want me and be with me. That's, that's what would fix my core story of deficiency. So I, I wasn't just jumping around trying to get laid. But when I went through that withdrawal symptom, when I was finally single, and now I didn't really have golf, golf didn't do it. I didn't have God. God didn't make me feel special. I didn't have a woman, right? So I had, I had no source that was making me feel seen or special, and I felt completely lost. And so I went through that midlife crisis with the heart palpitations and sleepless nights and obsessive thinking and so my coach, she's like, Roy, it's like your ex-fiance. Um, it's like you're an alcoholic, man. Like this midlife crisis you're in, this, this, you're having withdrawal symptoms. For the first time in your life, you have no source in your life that's making you feel special. And it's like somebody cut you off from alcohol or they cut you off from your cocaine and they cut you off from your opioids your body's going through withdrawal symptoms. She's like, you were addicted to your ex-fiance. And my head exploded. It was like, oh my God, that is so, that's exactly what this is. I've had this lifelong searching for a drug that would make me feel special. Golf God girls. I, in one of, my, in one of my, my first book, I have a chapter called Bar Hopping Through Life. Golf God and Girls. It's like I was an alcoholic going from one place to another. Give me a drink. Give me a drink. Give me a drink. Make me feel seen. Make me feel special. Make me, you know, feel wanted. You know, you're not doing it. I'll go to another bar. You won't serve me. I'll go to another bar. And so she's like, Roy, you're, a, you're addicted to your ex-fiance. She's like a drink with legs. And I'm telling you, my head exploded. I was like, I was speechless. Even now, as I say this, I have goosebumps on my arm. And this conversation was 17 years ago. So she went on. She said, okay, so if your ex-fiance, let's have some fun with this, Roy. (laughs) And I wanted to strangle her. You know, I'm dying with these realizations. My head's about to explode and she's kind of having fun with it. Um, She said, okay, so if she's a drink with legs, tell me what kind of drink she would be you know, kind of animating her Barbara Walters special. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be, right? She's like, if your ex-fiance was a 
drink with legs. What kind of drink was, was she? I said, well, she was sweet. She was a little salty. And man, she was sexy. I said, man, she was a margarita. My ex-fiance was a margarita. And so I came to use the term Margaritaville as a term to describe whenever I went to a woman to be my source of being seen. It was like I was wasted away again in Margaritaville. Every time I got into a relationship with a woman for this purpose, for her to sort of heal that core story of deficiency. (laughs) So I was wasted away again in Margaritaville. And so I, I came to see that I have what I believe is the most common addiction in the entire world. And it's the you complete me mindset. Remember Jerry Maguire? Jerry Maguire was full of shit. Now, I love the movie. It was an awesome movie. It had some really conscious parts of it. But that whole idea that you complete me, what does that mean? That means I'm lacking something. I'm deficient. And you fix it. Oh, no, they won't. No, 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 they won't. You might have a deficiency, but that's your work to do. Nobody on the outside of you can fix the inside of you. It's like if you eat a sandwich, I don't feel full. Okay? (laughs) So, So that was my realization is that my love life was so was so messed up because I was asking all of these women to do something, to fix something in me that they couldn't fix, even if they tried. And here's the marker. How is that true for you? Not, is it true? It is true. You're doing this. The more personal, the more universal. You have a core story of deficiency and you think if you find the right partner, it's going to fix it. That's why you got that list. That's why you want to use the law of attraction. That's why you have your love language, by the way, right? I have a love language, right? If you love me in a certain way, it fixes my core story of deficiency. Mine was physical touch and words of affirmation. (laughs) Of course they were. So I have a love language, but It's from dysfunction, not from a place of health. Because I'm, I'm, my love language, that's how you're supposed to love me so that my deepest want can be fulfilled and my core story of deficiency can be sort of erased. Do you get that? Can you see yourself doing this? Can you admit and own that you got something going on in you and you have a deep want and you're expecting a relationship to do it for you. And that it, that's the root of the relationship pain. If you see it, you are on a path to unbelievable joy, awakening, And you're also then making yourself, listen to me, you're making yourself eligible for a healthy, sustainable relationship. As long as you're in this chain of pain, you're never going to be happy. It's never going to work out because you're involved with a human who is going to fail you. They're just not going to fix that that problem. They're not going to fill that void. They're not going to finish that story. They're just not going to do it. Okay? 
So you, as long as you are in that, you're destined for more drama and more disappointment and more pain. But if you see it and then you do the work on, okay, how do I deal with that core story of deficiency? There is a way to deal with it, you know? I mean, I can show you because I had to deal with my own. And by the way, this is why I'm a coach. I'm a coach because I want to do for you what my coach did for me. I want to ask you the same questions. I want to help you see the same types of issues. I want to help you wake up to what you were doing to create the dynamics that you've experienced. Because once you see it, it's like, oh, well, if I can deal with my core story of deficiency and I can deal with that deepest want and I can recognize I am seen, I am worthy, regardless of golf or God or girls. It's, there is no deficiency. It's, it's an illusion. If I can see that, well, then I'm able to relate with a woman or a partner without needing them to be a certain way, to do certain things, to meet my expectations, to meet my needs. When I see my emotional needs are mine to deal with and I, and I don't put it on you, now I can actually be in a relationship where I want to give something to you. I'm not in the relationship to get something from you. Do you follow me? Love has got nothing to do with getting something. Love even in the Bible, it says, love does not seek its own. Love asks nothing, requires nothing, demands nothing. Love is a one-way street. I love you. I want to give. But when you're in this chain of pain, this kind of story of dependency, <laughs> codependency, when you're in this, you're in a relationship to get something. And you're always going to be disappointed because you're trying to get something from a life partner who is not a life source. So if you can recognize this, you're on the path to the possibility of something amazing. If you don't recognize this, you're destined to repeat it over and over again, like Groundhog Day. So as a next step, man, we need to talk. If this has touched you, if you can relate to this, then perhaps we should talk about working together at a minimum. Maybe read my first book, A Drink With Legs, From the Darkness of Drama to the Dawning of Intimacy. You know, it's on Amazon, it's on my website. But don't just file this away as, oh, that's an interesting story and an interesting understanding of why human relationships are difficult. Take it personal. Take it inside yourself. I, I hope that you see it as the root cause of why your love life isn't the way you want it to be. Because if you do, you found the root solution. And so I'll leave it there for now. And I appreciate your time. And of course, there will be more podcasts coming your way. And more discussions like this where we, we don't talk about where to go and how to approach or what to say to meet someone, right? These are the issues that no matter where you go, if you've got this going on, you're going to end up in a real difficult drama-filled situation. I hope you're on board with that. If you are, man, you're going to keep loving this podcast and we will 
talk again soon. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.